Hello and welcome to Life After, a podcast where young people can share and discuss their experiences with grief. If you're new, my name's Theo and this is the last of a five-part series where I've been asking guests about their experiences and how their grief has shaped them. To finish off, I'm speaking to my cousin, Elliot, about the loss of his father. I asked him to explain what happened. I mean, my parents um, got divorced when I was I was five. I have a younger brother who's about who's two, two years, eight months younger than me. Um, so uh, when I was about five, they they got divorced, um, and two years later, uh, my my dad committed suicide. So I was about seven at that time. Hmm. My brother was sort of four, coming on to five there thereabouts. Uh, so you know, my my brother really doesn't have a huge amount of memory of of my dad or what or what happened. Do you? Um, I do, I do. Uh, less, ve- very little of when we actually lived together as a family. So very little from sort of pre five. Yeah. But a lot more from sort of five to seven. I'd see him every other weekend. We'd go over. We'd always have the exact same food. He'd always cook these amazing chicken goujons from <laughs> wherever whatever supermarket they were so good with like chips and like peas or chips and carrots i was used to like going to dad's and then uh and then we would you know we we you know me and my brother would play we'd you know play army or like you know whatever or scare electrics or whatever mm. um and and the bits of my dad then i remember he was very say controlling but that feels it's to a certain extent it feels like that word got put in my mouth do you remember do you remember um the event itself and the the time that surrounded that yes yes so i remember distinctly because a police car pulled up outside hella house when i was with you know living with mum at the time Mm. um and so she asked my neighbor uh to take me and my brother up to the park with the football to sort of play and you know i didn't really clock that anything was wrong yeah um so then mum mum could could talk to the police and then you know i just remember coming back but i distinctly remember going into mum's room what i assume is the next morning after i woke up and she telling me and, and potentially my brother there that you know, we wouldn't be going to school today because something had happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the the burial. I don't think I went to the funeral, but I remember being in the church outside, you know, in Wadhurst and uh, burying the ashes. I remember that when they put the plaque up on the wall. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I mean, for all of that, I remember like just sort of glimpses. I, rem- I you know. Do you think that's just due to forgetting or... Uh... Do you think you've blocked those memories out? I don't know. I mean, given my age, I would say I'd have to attribute some of it to forgetting. Mm. But I wouldn't be surprised if if I, you know, subconsciously blocked some of those out. I mean, I remember I was in, you know, year two at the time, I think it was. I remember the teacher. Uh, as a child... I really struggled to tell anyone. So I remember my mum had come in and spoke to the teacher, who fortunately was really good. And I yeah. think she told the class yeah. that, you know, you know, this has happened to Elliot. Don't talk to him about it. Um, then asking questions. And and so I sort of ha- 
<clears throat> I kind of wanted people to know, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to talk about it. Um, and I couldn't talk about it well until I remember being maybe somewhere between like 14 and 16 um, in secondary school. And I remember back in the days of MSN, um, <laughs> uh, I remember no one. So I'd moved from from primary school to secondary school, and and a number of friends knew, but a lot of my friends were new at secondary school by the time I was sort of fourteen, sixteen, um, <clears throat> and they had no idea, mm. and I couldn't talk about it in person at the mere mention if someone asked me a question i would i would start welling up and i, I would, oh, I, would really? I would cry i wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to talk about it without getting really emotional and even sort of <clears throat> you know someone saying oh i'm going to do xyz with my dad this weekend um would make me feel upset or sort of i was then self-conscious of that mm. but I, I i couldn't tell anyone in person but i wanted people to know so i remember telling one person on msn you know at 15 mm. in the hope that she would <clears throat> what disseminate the information yes yes in some way um I think it was a huge shock to her. <laughs> I don't think she knew how to respond on MSN, no. and I I feel a bit bad because you know that's that's quite a bombshell to to type to someone. But well, when you're <clears throat> when you're 14, and if you if you as you say you just yeah you necessarily didn't confront it or not confront it, you didn't want to speak about it. Then mm. there's no, I don't necessarily think you can regret something like that. There's no right way to go. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. yeah. But people became aware. But there came a point sometime after that, I don't know how long after that, where I was able to talk about it freely and it not bothered me. I don't, I can't remember what happened, whether that process of telling them and then kind of having that relief kind of to help me move on or, or I got to a certain age and just put it behind me. Um, but they got to a point where it was like, okay, that's happened and I can talk about it without feeling the huge amount of emotion. Now. I don't know, it's strange, like, you know, a huge amount of my identity is is sort of built on the fact that I don't have a father and didn't have a father growing up and that, and that he committed suicide. And, um, you know, that shaped my character. So it is, mm. it's it's intrinsically part of me, but at the same time, it's it's somewhat removed. Yeah. But when yeah. I when I tell people yeah. now, it is. It's like, okay, here's a fact I need to get out of the way. So they say, stop saying, oh, so you're going to answer your parents. You're going to answer your mum. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I need to clarify that. And I'm comfortable sharing it. But I always find that they then sort of, you know, they it makes them feel uncomfortable. The person yes, I'm talking to, particularly yeah. if, if you know they're someone who I'm newly acquainted with, you mm. know, they're unsure how to respond to that. How do you respond to someone who does feel awkward in that situation? Oh well, usually they just say, "Oh God, you know, I'm, I'm sorry." I would be like, "Look, you know, it happened a long time ago. Mm. I just sort of move on and change the subject. It's, mm. it's not something that I tend to drag on." And, and they in my experience they don't tend to ask much about it yeah yeah um would you wish they did 
or mm. would you rather it's a topic that they stayed away from? You know, now actually I think they would. I think I'd be open to someone asking about it. I think depth of conversation is a really good way to get to know someone properly. I think I would enjoy the opportunity to actually talk about it with someone if, if they were interested in, in sort of knowing what that was like. But I mean, most of these, the con- the experiences I'm drawing on are, you know, second dates with girls mainly. Uh, I mean, that's that's where it mostly comes up. Okay. Um, you know, it's not a conversation that comes up at work very often. And mo- all of my friends, you know, know now. Mm. So... Yeah, it's it's usually sort of you know first second date, mm. um, so I guess it, it sort of makes sense why they perhaps wouldn't ask ask further. But I think I would be interested if, if they did. What do you think uh, Cameron was like? So it's, that's Elliot's brother. He was younger. I mean, he was you know three when my parents got divorced, and, mm. and five when Dad died. So he has such little memory. But obviously, you know, there's an impact without growing up without a father in the home. But I think I think it. Affected me more. I don't know whether that's because of how old I was, because I was the elder child, or because of that's just how you know it's impacted on my my personality. When I look back and think about the decisions I've made and the things that were driving a lot of my decision making throughout my teens and early twenties, I think a lot of that came from you know being seven years old. And realizing that um, adults don't have their shit together, <laughs> yeah. and you know, realizing that you know, if one can leave, so can the other one, and and that you know, you've got to look after yourself. I don't think that was conscious. I don't yeah, think at seven yeah. I was like, right, I'll start hustling. <laughs> yeah. Mum's gonna go. Like, need to, yeah, of course, of need course. to get myself together. But I think that was fairly in- ingrained in me in terms of okay well i feel like i can trust people but i i don't rely on that many people mm. i'm very reliant on myself i don't mind doing things with other people or, or but I, I to really place reliance on someone else is is probably harder for me now than it would be had had it not happened and so i think a lot of my uh decisions and, and motivation were on the basis of you know okay well I need stability. I I need to make sure I'm, you know, I have the things I I need and I I want and I can look after myself. And I think that I think a lot of that comes from comes from what happened. Do you feel slightly separate from other people then? It separated me from anyone who had a father in terms of the experiences they've got mm. and the experiences I've had. I think because of that need for stability, I've been more driven and have tried to achieve more, let's say financially, mm-hmm. earlier than other people might in by the sort of my peers for at school. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's been a bigger driver for me is, is that stability, self-reliance. Yeah. Move out, have a job sort of thing. Um. And when I look around at sort of peers now, and I've got peers who are, you know, just coming out of uni, some who have like taken gap years and then gone to uni and then done a master's, etc. And they're finding their first job. Meanwhile, I've been working, you know, six plus years. Yeah. I think that puts me in a, a different club, so to speak. But I, I don't know how much of that is attributable to what happened. Mm. I think... 
you know i th- i think though that i'm able to deal with not just death but with tragedy or setbacks a lot easier than other people do you never think you kind of gave yourself time to grieve or like i mean i th- I, I don't know I, I can't remember that much from yeah. around the time yeah so i'm i expect as a seven-year-old i was probably able to grieve i think when you're older you struggle to because your you know various experiences have shaped you and perhaps you know prevent you from grieving properly or you have obligations etc which hold you back but i think as a seven-year-old you can probably probably do that and i i th- I did slowly, but but definitely there was some stuff that I hadn't dealt with. As as I think that is shown by the fact that I was unable to talk about it through my teenage years. Mm. I think if I had fully accepted it at seven, then perhaps that. But I don't know whether you can fully no, accept no, something yeah, like that I, at seven. I don't. I, I, <clears throat> I don't think you don't have think the you can, mental yeah. capacity to do so. So I think I, you know, grieved slowly. I don't. Do you think you're still grieving? I don't think so. That's it's not it's not a crime to say no. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think I need to. I mean, you know, any psychologist listening, <laughs> feel free to give me your professional opinion if I'm in denial. But I don't think so. I do. I do think I probably buried some of it mm. in with the whole pull yourself together and crack on yeah. mindset. But I don't feel like I'm holding that. I feel like I'm quite self-aware, and I I don't feel like I'm I'm holding on to that. But you know, some things don't show up until much later. You know, so it takes times to see somehow how your behaviour might be impacted. That then you know as a result of what happened to be able to see a pattern and be like okay well you know xyz do you ever feel angry yes of course yeah um yeah you know i feel all the emotions (laughs) (laughs) um i don't ever do i feel angry at what happened yeah that's the question no i don't think i do anymore I think I did. I think used I did. To. I think I used to uh, in that teen years, and that's probably where a lot of that emotion came from. Mm. But as I say, I think it's it's so ingrained in my character now that it's sort of like, well, you know, obviously what happened wasn't great, but it's 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 sort of made me who I am today. So I sort of have to accept all the things that make me me, mm. and you know not reject that part of of me and, and what happened and just sort of say okay well you know this is how it is and this is this is how i am and i'm i'm you know grateful for where i am because it could have gone a lot worse yeah yeah um as me someone who is who didn't say know him know him like you know his sisters or mother might yeah, yeah. looking back at what i've heard and, and seen you know he was 
he was raised in an environment with a what I understand to be a sort of tough love kind of dad. Um, you know, he was he was an engineer, he was a Scot, he was an army guy. Mm. He was he probably had the sort of pull yourself together and crack well, on yeah. attitude. Yeah, yeah. Um <clears throat> men of the age, really. Yeah. And my dad was the only son. Mm. Uh, and there was a certain expectation of men of that day. You know, my dad was more creative. He really liked art and mm, yeah. uh he wanted to do that at school he wanted to do that at university but but his dad didn't want him to so i think he you know probably really struggled with with his identity and didn't quite fit in i know he tried to make it in drawing at a later stage of life when his dad died i think he had some money to then say okay all right for you know for the next year i'm going to try and get my uh i think he was trying to do sort of political cartoons but i remember going out to janey's um, my aunties a couple of years ago and looking through boxes of his drawings and rejection letters from uh, various publications he applied to so he did he did try in later life but he he couldn't get in it was sort of too late what's that like for you looking at looking at photos of someone who now you're you're totally removed from in some sense it's sort of like hearing about you know, a, a distant relative or a friend of a friend, you know. It's interesting because I didn't know the man that well. So it's yeah, interesting course, seeing all these yeah. parts of his life and and, and piecing them together. Um, he had already tried to kill himself before. He'd gone out into, you know, the forest when he was about 21 mm, with yeah. his dad's gun and tried to kill himself. So something was already there from early on. Um, and he had a really bad motorcycle accident, actually. So he he had a bad when it was icy. He'd fallen and hurt his back, and his he was always in. That was one of the things I remember him about him. He was often in pain when mm. we went around to his house. He would lie on the floor because um, his his back was hurting him. So really? I mean, looking back on it objectively, it seems like he had you know a, a sort of not great family environment growing up a lot of pressure being the only guy pushed into something he didn't want to do had already tried to commit suicide then had a then it got divorced was in chronic pain and still couldn't pursue his passion and you know got to a stage where it's just like nope i'm gonna tap out that's that's how i yeah that's how you that's how i rationalize it from not knowing him and being like okay i can see the trend and be like there's, there's clear patterns. I'm surprised you you don't feel at some level to some type of anger. I think after I found out all that stuff and read all the stuff at Janie's and hmm. seen all the letters and everything, I think I started pitying him. Really? And it's hard to feel anger for someone you pity. Hmm. I started to feel sorry for him. Like he had, he'd had a bad lot and hadn't coped with it well. And then, you know, other things hadn't worked out for him, and it was like, well, not that that excuses him from his responsibility. I don't think he made the right decision, but you know, looking back, I think I look at with a certain amount of pity and be like, God, oh, that's a real shame. Because you know, if he'd grown up now in an era where creativity is is encouraged, it might be completely different. Well, it's not only not only that, but men speaking about their emotions. True. True. Is, yeah. Yeah. Is a lot more welcome. Yeah, exactly. There'd be numerous factors that would work to his favour. So I think I definitely used to feel anger, but I think a huge amount of that's gone. Did your mum ever speak about him? 
not a huge amount. And and whenever she did, she would always refer to him as your father. Which when I was younger, I I had an issue with. But I was like, no, no, he was his dad. Hmm. But it's your father because she divorced him. So, but no, not a huge amount. I think when we were younger, she tried to protect me and my brother from a lot of what was going on in terms of the family. What's the dynamic within your family when kind of discussing death? Because it's from what I from what I know about you, it doesn't seem like there is one, or at least that's quite a harsh thing to say. But like, well, it, no, it seems it seems like it isn't a something that's discussed that much. It's it's not. Um, you know, when when my grandfather died, he, he you know he was he wasn't in great health, and he had had a fall at his at his house, mm. um, and had sort of broken ribs, and then was in hospital. Mum told us, and I was in my teens at the time, as I say, so I was seventeen, eighteen, something like that. Um, and she went down to see him because he was living in Dorset. Mm. Um, she went down to see him on her own, and sort of you know said that. Yeah, he wasn't wasn't great, but she didn't want us to come down. She didn't want us to see him like he was, and for that to be our memory of him, which I I understand. Yeah, you know, she wanted us to remember the the jolly, happy, you know, guy we used to see. But but I really resented her for that. Mm. I really, and I still do. Because, you know, he was the. He was the closest grandparent I had. You know, he always gave me money when I saw him. <laughs> but um, but no, he was the closest grandparent I had. And, and I felt robbed of the chance to say goodbye. Mm. And that really bothered me. Mm. And still does. Um, so that was difficult. But, I mean, I th- her attitude as well is like, when her marriage, you know, ended and then Mark, my dad, killed himself, she then had to raise us herself. So she had to take the role of, you know, mum and dad. Mm. And, you know, her attitude to a certain extent as well is, had to be sort of get on with it yeah, because yeah. she didn't have time to necessarily to grieve. She had to, you know, look after her two boys and to make sure, you know, she was a single mum working. So there was a lot of pressure on her. So there wasn't necessarily time and she wanted to protect us from a lot of stuff. So we only rarely have those sort of talks where it's like we talk about that. When you you say that you're robbed of seeing your grandfather, Mm. do you not feel in some sense that you've been robbed of your relationship or like at least a goodbye with your own father? Yes. But, you know, that was his choice. Yeah, I do. But that was his choice. Um, I guess the circumstances were different, right? So that was his choice to end his life. You know, it, it was, it was, yeah, there was no, there was no goodbye there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess being older, you know, it, it being... 10 or however many years later Mm. you know being more mature I was able to have a you have a different relationship with someone when you're 17 compared to 7 right so you know 
relationship with your father at times very one dimensional. It's like, you know, feed me and let's have fun. Um, but I was getting to a stage where I was starting to have more of a relationship with my grandfather. Mm. And, you know, if it had been my choice, I would have gone down. Mm. And I don't know what his choice was, mm. but it was the fact that. She made the choice for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that was on his behalf because he was like, I don't want, you know, them to see me like this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I guess that wound is fresher than dad. So perhaps why that's why that that's... But I think the circumstance as well, the fact that she made that, that call. Have you ever sought counselling? No, not on a sort of one-to-one sitting down with someone. My whole attitude from it was doing things myself mm. and sort of self-reliance. So in line with that my approach to it has been sort of just feeding out so uh, it's been it's been a lot of self-analysis it's been a lot of hearing other people's stories and hearing about how you know hearing psychologists speak about how childhood trauma impacts you in later life and hearing stories and understanding you know to a certain extent how that works mm. and then being very self-aware which is something I am good at doing for the most part and being like okay well how did that manifest and those are the conversations I've had with mum mm. I've had conversations particularly in the last year a lot more like that about this is how I think his death has affected me and she's been more concerned because she's seen my behavior from afar and been like you know she's i think worried you know what the lack of father how that will manifest in yeah for the rest of our lives in our relationships with friends and and you know romantic partners and mm-hmm. and professional relationships and so that's how i've i've processed it is by myself mm. whilst voicing those theories of those theories on myself to others as, as i did with you mm-hmm. um we cooked thai food together that was the first time i put it all together to someone i remember you, i remember you saying and, it was... and there was a lot of relief in doing that yeah but i had only really just sort of figured all that out mm. so I've, I've done that more with mum and potentially a little bit with cameron my brother now so so that's how I processed it and I'm sure someone will tell me that I absolutely have to see a counsellor and there's no way I can get over this without it but you know I don't feel because mum asked me at Christmas do you do you think you should have you thought about it I said I don't feel a need to do it at this time and there's, there's nothing pulling me towards it as I said to you here I, I feel like I'm over it to a certain it's extent it's in the past yeah, yeah. so I, I don't feel like I'm holding anything I did go to uh, a a men's group in London and they talk about, it's based on the hero's journey, which I think is by Joseph Campbell. And it talks about certain archetypes and, and sort of the journey of man and it links into the book Iron John, the passage of becoming a man, so to speak. Okay. And these sort of archetypal stories. It's creating a safe space to talk about it. We did this 
thing with a stone. Um, we sort of pass a stone around to introduce ourselves and all these things which might look silly to the outside, but it's an obscure action to make you realize that this is a different conversation to how you yeah, usually. Yeah. And then we sat in a circle around the fire and we went round. And, you know, people would just share and share about anything. And so I don't really know what to say because I didn't, I don't feel like I had as much baggage as perhaps some of the other men there. And, and that might be a hugely arrogant thing to say, but... A lot of people are like struggling with depression. I went out of curiosity as like, do I feel like I need to talk about something? Maybe I should go to a safe space and find out. And so I, I spoke about my father and I spoke about what I was thinking about at the time and that self-reflection in terms of, well, how has what he has done impacted me? And so I, I shared some of that with the group, which felt good, but I, I didn't feel like I had any more to say or further to go so i i didn't go back though mm. I, I found the group it was a good experience to share but i i didn't know what i was going to say next week it's not like i was working through it and needed to share updates it was like yeah oh, this is the sort of thing i'm thinking about so i i don't feel the need to to sort of speak to anyone about it what would your advice be to someone who has just lost their father or um lost their father a long time ago um and possibly still struggles with it i'm not going to give any specific advice because you know that's hugely dependent on how old you are now yeah of course you know in what circumstances your dad died you know how old you were when they died you know all these all these things play a part one of the reasons i don't feel any uh, anger towards my dad is that when he killed himself he so he shot himself um he died holding um, a Bible um, and uh, and a photo of me and my brother. Oh, yeah. So I I don't blame myself for his death because of that. Mm. Um, I don't know whether I would have anyway because you know we weren't a huge infringement on his life at that point. But mm. um, but I know some people can blame themselves for for their parents' death. So you know the circumstance in which they died is hugely is hugely important. But I mean the first thing I say is that don't blame yourself. Like it's it was it's their call the thing that has been really useful for me is is understanding like how it's impacted me like once you can get to the point of acceptance and just accept that this has happened and so you don't have a father anymore once you get to there working through the rest of it for me has really been okay well how has that impacted my life what decisions have I made because of this? What decisions will I be biased to in future because of this? How is this going to affect relationships with my friends? How is this going to affect romantic relationships? And it's important to consider all these things because, you know, as a result of, you know, I, I might be less open than, mm. than some other person. So I have to sort of be conscious of that with friendships and not seem like I'm not interested in sharing or, you know, I have to find that line that I'm comfortable with. And, you know, with romantic relationships, it's even harder because there's, there's, you've got to let that person in more. And especially for me, being someone who's particularly self-reliant, that's that's difficult for me. And I, I struggle with, with those relationships in particular. So I would just recommend to, to be self-aware and to analyze and to to think about how what has happened has, has impacted where you are now and where you could go in future because once you know that, regardless of whether you've lost someone, everyone has parts of their personality that are going to 
affect the course of their life going forward. And once you understand yourself, it's easy to be the master of your own ship and sort of help chart a course through wherever you're going because you understand the things that motivate you and 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 don't and you know that you're subject to and and you know death i think plays a part in that any tragedy does so i think being self-aware to to figure those things out will not only help you kind of process and be okay with where you are now whether that's whether you're in a good place or a bad place and then sort of give you equip you to go forward and the, the biggest thing to help me do that was to listen to psychologists to read books as a as a man to read books about you know the sort of the path a man goes through from boyhood to manhood and how a normal father plays into that and so therefore how a lack of father and how that's going to affect me yeah and listening to people you know listening to podcasts like this i think listening to other people's stories and be like oh so that's what happened and it, it by listening to someone else your subconscious I think just starts ticking and figuring things out and you know you can really figure things out when you hear other people's stories as bizarre as that sounds um and yeah just just taking an interest listening to psychologists to you know talk about this stuff for me last year I was listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson um that may offend some people but (laughs) that uh you know he he what he said really resonated and and you know he talks a lot about of of life and the the misery of life but sort of why you don't want to go down that path and why you need to move forward and and, and you know that's been really useful for me what would you say to someone whose friend has just lost someone what would you advise in that sense you know just just be there for them um be available and don't be offended if they don't want to talk about it it's not you it's it's probably them mm. just not being ready. If you go talk to them and then they get upset and then that comes out as anger, that's just, they haven't processed it yet and they're not ready to talk about it. So, you know, be patient. It's, you know, it's it's tough on them and just be available and, you know, send them send them this podcast. I mean, give them a helping hand. Nice they, plug, they, nice they, plug. They, they may not know about <laughs> it, but if you do, then then that's a good way to do it. So that's it for the first series. A huge thank you to Elliot for coming on and to Miles, Alice and Tom for taking part as well. Also, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to be involved in the second series, please do get in touch. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram. Before I end, I'd quickly like to acknowledge the support I've received from my friends and family. You know who you are. I'm Theo Silverstone. The music was composed by Lucy Piercy and performed by Alexander Lestrange. The editing was done by my mum. Thank you so much for listening.